0: just because of the nature of the class, but Biblical worldview really encompasses kind of enough of it to accurately describe it. Um, So, uh, some of you may or may not know uh, about Emmaus Road classes, and that's basically what this is. This is the first of a bunch of (coughs) home-based classes, home-based Bible courses like this. So, um, we're excited to be doing our first one, and we have a few more in the works that are that are pretty exciting, from church history to a whole bunch of other stuff. So we're looking forward to it, and uh, and this actually is going to be a prereq for other people to be able to take it um, online on uh, on our website. they'll be able to take it, they'll, there will be video and audio of the class. They'll be able to with the notes. They'll be able to take it online, but. Um, This will be a prereq to go to the rest of the classes. So not all of them will be designed like that, but this is going to be one of them that's a um, prerequisite to continue on. Um, So biblical worldview class, uh, this first week we're just going to tackle the class introduction and um, then we're going to start off in the second half with uh, after a break into the development of the Western worldview. Um, so, the top of page one, uh, class objective, the goal of this class is to recover the worldview established from Genesis to Revelation, resulting in a sound instruction regarding the hope of the church and the sojourning lifestyle in life of the coming kingdom. So, what it's going to be um, about largely is um, recovering the worldview of the early church, as a means to helping us recover the theology and the practice or the, um, the lifestyle of the early church. Because the reason they lived the way they did is because certain things were so clear to them is that living other, any other way wasn't reasonable. And that's where there's so much variance in the West. It's, it really ultimately comes down to worldview. And that's we're going to spend the next couple weeks on quite a bit. Um, so class requirements, uh, class attendance. If you there's going to be two one-hour sessions, if something comes up and you can't make one, we ask if at all possible make all the classes because they really are designed. This class could really be much longer, and so it's designed extremely line upon line. And just talking with Greg and the real um, the issue with uh, missing a week which if you have to do it, um, there's instructions on there, but the issue with missing a week is that you will have so many questions the following week when we're talking that it would, um, we wouldn't get the class taught because you would have that many questions. And so as a way to eliminate that, if you have to miss a class, then, um, by Tuesday, we will have the audio up on the website. We're going to give you guys all, um, The info for the website, where where it'll all be, and you'll have, um, the website's going to have the audio. Soon the video, probably not initially, but initially it'll have all of the audio. And then the video soon, it'll have all the notes, and it'll have a copy of the PDF of Tim Miller's book, if you prefer to read online. So, um, required reading. Um, Oh, sorry, I didn't finish that. So, uh, go online, go over it. For every week you miss, uh, for every session you miss, so it's two sessions a week, bring a one-page summary with your thoughts of the session after you've listened to it, because I really want everybody to process it before we move on, at least to some degree. Yes, Kevin? Just two page. Would you like a two-page or one-page? It'll be one page on each, because there's two sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And What's, what's the website? Um, we'll write it down for you in a minute. It's, it's, yeah. We'll write it down in just a minute. Um, so a required reading: poised for harvest, break for, brace for backlash. Tim Miller's a good friend of mine, and this is well, probably my favorite book in the whole world. Tim Miller is awesome. Um, he's a student, a man of the word, church history, and uh, but just has such a tender heart for the Lord. And really has a desire to make the Word of God palpable and simple. And so you guys will find, you never know by reading the book, because he has this one of those unique gifts that he can disseminate it and, you know, to communicate it to. He talks, I've heard him talk about how he can share the apostolic gospel, and he's actually done it to a six year old at one of his kids' birthday parties. You know, and he's like, that's what we got to get down to. And, um, and honestly, if, if I were to, if I were to ask, um, most of you, if I were to ask the room, most of us are here for the exact same reason, maybe not everyone, but to one degree or another, most of us are here because if I were to stand one of you up or highlight you, Greg or Maggie or Elijah and say, tell me real quick, just so that everybody knows what is the gospel, Greg? The fact is, is that in our day, most people, pastors, leaders would go, um, uh, 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 I don't know what the gospel is. You know, maybe quote out, you know, quote a little bit of rhetoric, something from the, you know, the song on Sunday morning, and then go, I don't really know what the gospel is. And so, large in large part, this this uh, this course is really going <coughs> to serve to Um, really develop a a strong conviction in what the gospel is and how it was proclaimed in the early church and uh, and really help us understand the mission of the church and proclaiming it now. Uh, Three, prayer room hours. So um, one of the different things about what we're doing with the Amaze Road classes is we're synthesizing it with the prayer room. And some of you may not even be familiar with the prayer room. Um, But what what we're doing is Because Which we're going to talk about in a second Obtaining information is really Not going to help you Even the right information It really isn't going to help you in the long run And because the The goal of all instruction Biblically Is truth in the inward parts And it has to be worked in By dialogue with the Holy Spirit It has to and, and so it just doesn't happen in a vacuum. I know how life gets. And so one of the commitments is that you'd spend time each week in a prayer room set. And if you're not familiar with the prayer room hours or whatever, or your schedule's goofy, talk to Kelly or Terry, and they'll help you find a way to, to work all this out. But it's basically for the point of you would sit in the prayer room, dialogue with the Holy Spirit about the subject matter, and journal about it. That's basically the point, because you want to get you want to get all that happening. Um, uh, number four, fasting. Um, this is another point which may not make sense a whole lot on the front end, um, and if you've never been in this kind of culture that did fasting a lot or that did like real serious fasting, then this might seem a little intense. So, basically, without going into a long deal about fasting, ultimately. If what we aim to do is successful, all it's going to do without the grace of the Holy Spirit just really strengthening you and giving you a a really unusual grace for humility and meekness is it's going to make you really arrogant and it's going to give you this elitist spirit towards others. And so fasting biblically is primarily, I mean, even though it is used in these circumstances, biblically, the context for fasting is primarily to humble yourself. Mm. And so, I'm going ask everybody, unless, of course, there's medical issues uh-huh. and you know the normal disclaimers, to take one day a week where you fast. Just, just during the time when you're in the class. Anybody have any questions about that? Okay. Or any of the other points, for that matter. Okay. Um, completion of weekly assignments there's going to be short weekly assignments Um, at the beginning there'll be more uh, more uh, theory and more like just writing or whatever and then towards the end there'll be more practical like um, towards the end it might be share the biblical gospel that the apostles preached with at least one person this week and then journal what you felt and what the outcome was so, those, the assignments will kind of go like that. Okay, there's the course schedule that's helpful for you down there um, and if you want to look at the flow chart, that's basically how the, how it's going to be laid out, It's going to have um, sessions one and two are going to deal with the issue of worldview. Um, <clears throat> Uh, exposing incorrect assumptions and introducing biblical um, well metaphysics is probably it's an accurate word but it's probably a little too intense biblical cosmogony or or cosmology is probably a better word Just what is the biblical understanding of the heavens and the earth what is biblically the sum total of reality that's what we're talking about Mm -hmm. we want to know that and so the first two sessions deal with that the next four sessions, you're going to deal with theology, and just in light of, in light of biblical worldview, what is biblical theology? Because this fir- these first two sessions, you're going to be going, how is this going to help me to share the gospel with somebody by session seven, or by week seven? And you're, in large part, you're just going to have to take my word for it, especially in the first two weeks, but um, it will change a lot. Um, then the last two weeks, are going to be praxis, so it's all practicum. In the last two weeks, it's going to be learning what is the identity of the church or the ecclesia, as the Greek says, what's the identity of the ecclesia, and what is the mission of the ecclesia, in light of biblical worldview, biblical theology, etc. Okay, any questions before we get started real fast? And so, to give you guys an idea, oh, thank you, sir give you guys an idea, this is going to be, um, we're doing it in homes for a number of reasons, so it's not going to be a home group, obviously, it's a little bit more formal than a home group, but it's not like classroom lecture. It'll be a little bit more like that, but I want to give you guys more freedom to interact, and, and so it's not a problem or a nuisance if you have questions, if you have concerns, anything. Just voice it. Most likely, if you're have the question, if you're wondering, somebody else is probably wondering the same thing. Yes, sir. Uh-huh.
1: So, so prayer room hours is this, and then we log in and turn in. No, it, just on our own. Yeah,
0: of? yeah. You just kind of do it. So um, they they can kind of connect you with where you know the watches hours and kind of how they do it. Just, yeah. <laughs> Kelly and Terry can be the ones. Yeah. Okay, man, Let's let's pray. Okay. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. As you'd open up the scripture to us. That you would be the revealer of truth to us right now. Father, we love you. Father, we ask you tonight that you would begin to establish our minds on the assurance of your faithfulness and your loving kindness. And Father, we ask you that by the Holy Spirit you would begin to tear down strongholds tonight. Things that militate against the knowledge of God within our culture and within our theology. We want to see you as you are, Lord. Thank you, Father. Okay, it's going to jump to page two. Okay, point two, aim of all sound instruction, truth in the inward part. So I want to take just this first session, uh, first uh, part of of tonight, and go over um, why we're doing things the way that we're doing them, and how we ought to process them, because... The biblical nature of truth is very different than the way that we sometimes think of it, which is why you know you get into a lot of charismatic circles and they've developed almost an aversion to the word theology or to biblical study because the assumption is what they've seen is that it simply leads to arrogance, which it does in a lot of cases. But biblically, the knowledge of the truth is always, always the end of it, the goal is the forming of truth in the inward parts, which is a part of a process. It's not a part of receiving it, you know, listening to a teaching in, in whatever sort of spirit. It's that you would actually use the knowledge of the truth to enter into a routine of ingesting and a dialoguing with the Holy Spirit in regards to subject matter. So, uh, point A, one of the goals of this class will be to establish you in a sound instruction stemming from an accurate and biblical worldview. However, accurate knowledge or understanding is not our aim. Just like it wasn't the goal for Jesus or the apostles, that men should simply know the truth. So, James, brother of Jesus, says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish men, that faith without works is useless? The Pharisees were experts in the truth. In spite of many perversions, the Pharisees really did have a right understanding of the promises in the Scripture during Jesus' day. That's something I really, we're really going to start to uncover as the class unfolds, is the point of when you interpret the Gospels and you interpret the New Testament, the point of the... Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees is not that the Pharisees were uninformed, or they were naive, or they were just silly to believe what they believed. It's that the information they had, which was accurate, did not lead them to to walking out the the, uh, conclusion to that in the inward parts, which is humility and long-suffering and walking in love and servanthood. So Paul says when he's before Festus in Acts twenty four, uh, I believe everything. So he's b- before the governor, and they're accusing him. The 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 elders of the Jews are accusing him, and he says, I believe everything that agrees with the law, and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So Paul doesn't make any distinction in the hope that he has, and the hope that they have. So, but we all know that the testimony that we have of the Pharisees is that you can have all of the key doctrines in order and yet not allow entrance to the spirit of truth to transform your inward parts. So like Psalm 51, David says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. And then in... uh, in Mark 7, Jesus said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, for this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So really he is, he really is looking. The outcome of this class isn't having a right knowledge in the brain. It really is having a a right heart before him that comes as a result. And so part of the way we're structuring it is so this would actually... Um, lead to humility being walked out and formed in the heart instead of knowledge which can really puff up and really create a lot of problems for your life um, so and then Luke 16 the same deal he said to them you are those who justify yourselves in the eye of in the eyes of men but God knows your hearts uh, paragraph D inward truth, is ultimately measured by humility and love being formed in the heart. Believing the truth does not guarantee humility of heart. Believing the truth does not guarantee humility of heart. Therefore, if that's what he's looking for, believing the right thing does not guarantee that when he comes he'll find what he's looking for in your heart. We don't ever stop pursuing the truth or sound instruction, but we understand that the knowledge of the truth is not going to aid anyone on the day when we stand before the Son of Man. So, Isaiah 66. But to this one will I look, says the Lord, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, to this one will I look to live amongst or to dwell with me on the day of the Lord in my return, in context... Uh, in First Corinthians four five, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will. So don't go on passing judgment before. This will make more sense in the theology class before the hour when the Lord is determined. But wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness, and He will disclose the motives of men's hearts on the day of the Lord. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Based on what is actually formed in the heart. And on the day when, according to my gospel, Paul says to the Romans, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So, sound instruction ought to lead us into a lifestyle of pursuing righteousness, humility, and love. And this is typically, uh, if you're familiar with... um, Seminary world at all it's, it's typically And it's not across the board of course But largely this is kind of the the, the the missing component It's the essential one It's like really understanding That the whole purpose Of the knowledge of the truth Is to lead you Into a, a lifestyle of humility And having it formed In your inward parts So that when the secrets of men Are revealed at the day of the Lord you are praised by your Father because He sees what happens in secret. So while the Lord is primarily looking at the heart of man, the primary witness, either in favor or against us, will be how we walk out righteousness in this age. Mm. So it's also misguided to say, God looks at the heart, and there's no reason to develop any other area. Scripturally, that is ridiculous. The point is, is that he cares about what's in the heart, but it's like David also said in in Psalm 51, he said, I know that you want to be justified in the day when you judge me. If you look all throughout scripture, the Lord actually causes things to be exposed in the hearts of his people so that they understand that he is justified when he has to bring discipline and correction. And it will be the same way in the day of the Lord nobody after the day of the Lord is going to go, that was a little harsh, Jesus. Yeah. Nobody. And the reason isn't just going to be that we have our brains fixed. It's going to be that everything is going to be exposed. And so, like, it's just, it's just going to be plain for everybody. So the secrets of men are all going to be out. But the way that he's going to expose the secrets of men is he's going to put on display two, basically three, three things. Uh, lifestyle. Your words, basically he's going to judge three things. Your life, or your, your deeds, your words, and your heart. And so basically those three things are the things in Scripture that over and over again, these three things are the things I care about. The, the end game, of course, is being formed in the heart. But we know that largely what you do and what you give your words to is actually the direction that your heart ends up going so walking out righteousness will be measured by our works of righteousness and by our words. I I, I, I just want to use this section to not only just kind of highlight the kind of the, there. there's a lot of seeming contradictions that God only cares about what's in the heart. But God's going to judge us based on our deeds and our words. And so what's the deal? And so I just want to highlight the relationship between all of them because it's not that they stand in opposition to one another. Well,
1: it's kind of like. I was thinking about this as you're going through this and what James is writing, and it's like it's a double edged sword because if you've got one without the other, in either case, you're in big trouble. I mean if you just do yeah. the works like the Pharisees did yeah. without any love, Absolutely. You're toast. But on the other hand, if <laughs> if, sure. if if it's just like, you know, you're just doing the heart thing like you're talking about, you're just as toast because you're not doing the work.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the point is is that James is saying it's not true because after this he says, "You show me your faith by your, you know, yeah. by your creed or whatever," and yeah. I, and I'm going to show you by my works. My works are evidence that it's real, yeah. and not, uh, yeah. So, um, like you have in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Hey, Colleen. Welcome so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Behold, I am coming quickly to render to every man according to what he has done. In Matthew 12, um, this is the words one. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an account for it on the day of judgment. So the Lord cares about all those things, but what we want to highlight is Thus the aim of all of our instruction must be to walk out the truth in a lifestyle of righteousness with the primary goal being the working of humility and love and godliness in the inward parts. It has to be the, the central goal for it. Because it is possible to have right doctrine and even works of righteousness and yet have wickedness in the heart. This really is possible. And, and so the point is, did you raise your hand? No. Okay. <laughs> However, humility in the inward parts can only come through walking out the truth through a lifestyle of righteousness with the aim of humility. And so a lot of times what happens is, is you get a right doctrine and then you even get a right practice of how you're walking it out. But the aim of your life somehow is not to have humility formed in inward parts. And so you can have two of the three, like Frank was saying, but if you don't have the aim of humility being formed in inward parts, still not ultimately what he's looking for. Like in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside you appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And that's... Uh, anyways whatever don't get into that so um, and then Luke 18 and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt this Lord, Lord just hit me with this parable um, like a year ago and just flattened me for a good period of time with it He said, two men, because he said he saw some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying god be merciful to me the sinner i tell you jesus then explains i tell you this man went to his house justified rather than the other or more justified than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted on the day of the lord so jesus is just highlighting this whole he had actually just come out of an eschatological discourse. And so, he he's just telling all these parables in the context to the day of the Lord and eschatology, and he's explaining that this age, the way things appear now, is not the way they're going to appear then. So he says, and what the Lord just really hit me with is, I was just going over some notes for something, and the Lord just hit me one day. And he said... Most of your life is either spent being the Pharisee or through bad circumstances, you slip down into being the tax collector, and all you can think about is just waiting till you can be the Pharisee again. Uh. Uh. It's like, it's true. It's like my whole life. It's like I, I either feel great about myself and my righteousness, or I'm beating my chest going, Gosh, I can't wait till I just feel so great about my righteousness again.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: And so the Lord is just bringing this up to say don't despise when you find yourself feeling like the tax collector. Don't despise it. So, and then one of my silly attempts at a graphic here. Here we go. Humility, sound instruction, and the cross. So these are really, they, um... So at the bottom of that, uh, page three, so sound instruction i.e. right hope, should lead to a lifestyle of embracing humility and righteousness, i.e. the cross, with the aim of having truth formed in the inward parts, or humility. Or love formed in the inward parts, you could say. So it really is a cycle. So you get sound instruction and you add to it a lifestyle of the cross and you add to it the aim of humility and then... Sound instruction and the Word of God opens up to you in the context of that cycle. But you have to be willing to submit yourself in the middle of that, and you give yourself to that as a lifestyle. So, uh, paragraph 8, The fruit of the process of having the affections and values of our heart conform to the truth, because that really is, because humility does get formed in your inward parts. It's not like in this age, you're never going to have a struggle with wanting to retaliate and defend yourself, but you really do, by the Holy Spirit, get it worked into you a little bit more and a little bit more, and one of the primary fruits of it, and it's a necessary fruit, necessary, is that the affections and the values of your heart get transformed And the Father releases the joy of the Holy Spirit into your heart to anchor you in perseverance in that lifestyle, not to exonerate you from it. Because typically the Lord breaks in to say, good job, keep going. And we exonerate ourselves from the cross after that. He's going, no, 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 I'm trying to give you encouragement. Keep going in sound instruction, the cross and humility and he breaks in with joy and you're like cool no more cross it's like no wrong conclusion yeah. and so a lot of a lot of what we're going to walk through i think we're going to find is just learning how to interpret why the holy spirit is amongst us doing what he's doing you know i have so many people have asked me in the last couple of months what do you think about the, the gold stuff that's happening up in Bethel. Or, you know, I just don't know what to think about Is that God? I said, totally wrong question. I said, the point of all of it is not what or whatever. Stop that. The point is why. You, you ask yourself why and you ask God why. Because I assure you, it's not a party trick.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. You know what I mean? And so the point is, is he's breaking in to say this as a lifestyle truth in the inward parts, humility and the cross. You give yourself to servanthood. You give yourself to pursuing a sound instruction and a life in the Word, and I will break in and transform your emotions, and then I'll give you joy in the inward parts as a means of sustaining you in that lifestyle, not pulling you out of it. Because typically what's happened is the Father breaks in with His power, sends the joy of the Holy Spirit or whatever, and then we... Write this off as a season. This was a season. And now I'm in a different season. And then you crash six months later or a year later. And you're like, what happened to my wonderful season? It's like it wasn't a season change. He's trying to strengthen you to keep going. All right. So you have loved righteousness. This is said of Jesus. You've loved righteousness and hated righteousness wickedness. Lawlessness. Oh, that's right. Septuagint quote. I was like, that's not what the NASB says. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions because Jesus has a lifestyle, loved righteousness, and he hated wickedness. God gave him joy to sustain him. Does that make
1: sense?
0: It's It's both the reward and the thing that strengthens us and sustains us in a lifestyle of pursuing righteousness. Okay, so you have sound instruction births right hope. Okay, and that's why we're going to go after theologies because theology ultimately always boils down to hope. Live in light of the truth. Living in light of the truth or right hope leads to you understanding embracing the cross and then humility and truth in the inward parts yields joy to persevere in all of this so it just becomes a cycle of life you just you just live in it and you continue to wake up tomorrow and you just strengthen yourself in the word and you know you just you just do it not because none of this is just because this is like what you just should be doing. Like, this is, all of this is just absolutely necessary to actually walk through this age successfully. I really, and I really like how it's laid out, how it's kind of like a cycle, and the things we get, lead into each other. And I think it's interesting how you pointed out how, like, we can take, like, we, we go through the whole cycle, and then we get to the joy, and then we're like, okay, good, you know, what's going to be right? And then you stop, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, you know, what's going on when you crash? So it's interesting. Do you do you feel like what part of this would be the most common? Because all of these go into each other. You know, you get the right totally. They all do. They all do. What's most the- common for me is that like people just, uh they, they write off, the Lord um, really breaks in to try to encourage them, yeah. and they just write off everything as a, you know, because oh, you're, you're, yeah, no, really, because you don't, because it's just you know, you either get in charismatic circles who largely, not completely, but largely are trying to write off the cross. Or you get into the non-charismatic circles and all they talk about is the cross. And so everybody's so tired of hearing about the cross. And so, but it's not either or. It's not either or. It really is the life of the cross. It really is. That is the only way to follow Jesus. But it's, it is the... The, um, the Spirit has been given to sustain us in that continually. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, and, you know, we'll go over more of it because I'd say other things right like now would be confusing. And when you're defining sound instruction, not just like the goal of it, are you mm-hmm. meaning like the correct interpretation of the word? Or are you also meaning like
1: the inward. Um? Like checking of the Holy Spirit, with our yeah. conscience not being
0: defiled. Like well, is it... well, what I what I'm basically I'm actually using that phrase really carefully. So that's a good question. So when I say sound instruction, what I mean is um sound a sound instruction. Like you look at church history for like the first 200 years, and you had a few little disputes over some issues, but the real disputes really started like the really heavy ones really started about 200 years, 150 200 years after the ascension. Excuse me, and there was just, and they were always over, not always ninety percent of the time, over non-critical issues, wow. and 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 really all those the 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 prominence given to the non-critical issues is largely due to misunderstanding a worldview which we're going to talk about like how the Western worldview got developed for that very reason. But when I say sound instruction, I mean just the simple understanding of the Scripture and just leading to what... I always connect sound instruction with right hope, always, because real sound instruction does not... If you have a sound instruction, you do not need a cheerleading session on Sunday morning to have hope. Sound instruction is... I mean, it is thoroughly. If you have a sound instruction in the scripture, you open up this word anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I wake up in the morning, and I can, I I, typically I start off with the psalm, because I'm just so, you know, I'm just so tired, so I kind of just read through the psalms, one a day. I get there, and by the time I get done this morning, I was on Psalm 9. By the time I got done, I went from like, Jesus who? To, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I can I can totally embrace the cross today. It is so worth it. That's awesome. And so you know what I mean. You just it, it helps you refresh yourself with the word instead of doing it to try to earn something or doing it to try to get ahead or to get more knowledge than somebody.
1: That's
0: so good. So, anyways, that's the uh, that's the goal. Okay, anybody have any other questions? If not, we're gonna take a little break and then we'll get into the hardest, at least the most mentally challenging session. Probably of the whole time.
1: <laughs> yeah, no,
0: take a break. Okay, let's do our break and then we'll come back.
1: Uh, please help yourself to all the drinks and the, oh, thank you. the food. Thank you. So